<laughs> Hello, boils and ghouls. It's your old pal, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and it's my favorite time of fear, Shocktober, which means... My good fiends here at Pop Zara Podcast wanted to wish you a happy Halloween. Here is Pop Zara's Halloween spooktacular episode. May all your screams come true. <laughs> Halloween Spooktacular! <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Popstar's Movie Time Spooktacular podcast, a special two part Halloween episode. Today, I'm your host, Ev Wong, editor-at-large at PopZara, and my guest and I will be breaking out in a cold sweat at all things Japanese horror. Since Nate and his crew put forth their thesis about Western horror movies, it's only right to have my guest and I respond with the spine-tingling psychological scares only J-horror movies can present. So let me introduce my lovely guest who's willing to go down the Japanese horror movie rabbit hole with me. Writer and J-horror movie enthusiast, M. Casalina. Welcome, M. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And I'm super excited to chat to you about this today. Oh my gosh, because no one else will talk to me about this. <laughs> yeah, so if you're a huge fan of J-horror or if you've always been curious about it and you're kind of like ready to dip your toe in, then stay tuned. We'll be talking about the psychological impact these J-horror movies have on people a bit about the history, the differences between Western and Eastern horror movies, and why humans are the scariest beings on the planet, bar none. But first, let's get to the good stuff. Um, what's one Western movie that's actually really introduced you to horror? And as a follow-up, which J-horror movie opened up the Eastern world of this genre for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um... It was less about uh, horror movies that opened me up to my love of horror and more of like science fiction kind of mm. being the side into horror. I was a huge fan of the X-Files when I was a kid. So that kind oh, of opened yeah. up for me. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of my first J-horror, Asian horror movie that really introduced me to the genre, um, the first J-horror film I ever saw was Cairo or Pulse from 2001. <gasps> that Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's amazing. Um, I think personally for me, I I remember I I just have glimpses of this, maybe because I've repressed the memory because it was so scary. It was so scary. But I had I actually stumbled upon it. I think it was the miniseries from the 1990s. And uh yeah, so I I just remember um what was it like it was like a big head in a jar in the fridge and I said yep no I'm I'm done I, I can't I can't with this <laughs> and then, um oh my god how old was I I was under 10 I remember that 
And okay, I, so not- yeah, yeah. So I was just, I was really, I, I wasn't into horror movies yet. And I think it just really, but it opened up a door and with an over, because I have an overactive imagination as well, it, <laughs> it didn't really help me. And in terms of J-horror, I think it's a tie between Juon or The Grudge and Tetsuo, The Iron Man. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, like, but Juan scared the living bejesus out of me. And I don't know why, like, my boyfriend at the time, he convinced me. He's like, it's going to be completely innocuous. Like, well, he didn't say innocuous. He was just like, it's going to be completely fine. You know what I mean? Hello, just having someone bending over you and making that uh sound the entire time. <laughs> like, you would think it would be more annoying than anything, but it just, I don't know why it really fucked with my brain. <laughs> No, that, it was just, that would be really like um I remember the first time I saw Juan and it's just yes. it's one of those things that gets under your skin a little bit yes <gasps> yes exactly exactly oh my god yeah and I couldn't sleep for a week afterwards I kept seeing her everywhere I went so I'm like, oh my god <laughs> and then like it, it was weird because like with Tetsuo it was with a different boyfriend and I don't know. I didn't understand it at first. And I remember because I, I read your Screen Rant article about the best J-horror movies to watch. I mean, if you haven't checked it out yet, please go check it out. I'll link it in the show notes. Don't worry. And I don't know if it's just because it was so outside of what I normally expected in terms of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get it at first. I had to watch it a couple of times. And I don't know if that was the same with you. Uh, that movie, it's um, it's definitely a horror movie, but when I think mm-hmm. of the Iron Man, it's like an, in its own kind of surrealist genre. It really mm-hmm. isn't like a lot of other like very cerebral, like dark, um, like J-horror films. It's kind mm-hmm. of comical how ridiculous it is as a movie. I know. <laughs> I know. Exactly. It's like some parts where you're like, I was outright laughing and I was thinking, why am I laughing at this? Oh my no, God. it's really, it's really a surreal kind of crazy film. And it's got, it does, I feel like it intentionally has some comedic like elements to it, but it had mm. so much more gore and just, you know, it wasn't your typical J-horror film in my opinion. No, no. And I think it being a cyberpunk and because of that subgenre that really mm-hmm. added to it as well. But yeah, so I always Definitely. thought those those were the two that really introduced me to J-horror. Um, awesome. But before so before we get into our first topic, here's like I just want to give a brief, brief, brief J-horror history. So I think the earliest ones that the horror move the earliest Japanese horror movies were films from like the 1920s. Um, I, I don't think those are still around or they're lost or possibly stolen. Who really knows nowadays? And a lot of those stories are like rooted in their folklore, which is pretty common, I would say. And you need to kind of like explain what's going on around you, all the different phenomenon. And at the time, it was like centered around uh, Oni or invisible demons. Okay. Uh, side note, I apologize if I'm butchering any Japanese words here. I am, I greatly apologize. I am not Japanese, so I will do my best to make sure they're pronounced <laughs> properly. And so all these Oni are living around people and they have these magical powers which can cause like natural disasters and even cause diseases as well. And which I feel was a great scapegoat for people in a way, because especially when things don't go to according to plan. Can you imagine if like 
a person murders someone but stages it to make it look like it was a natural disease but then they get caught they're like oh uh the oni made me do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then we have like the yokai or ghost stories and these are like really popular in Japanese culture like across all Asian cultures I feel especially like vengeful ghosts which are called yurai and shapeshifters which are called bakemono but what's fascinating isn't like there wasn't any real interest in those stories and it wasn't until like an Irish guy Love, I think his name was Lafcario Hearn and he was a folklorist. Sidebar, that would be such an amazing job. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't until he started documenting them that other, like, actual other Japanese people became more interested. And he even published, like, a whole bunch of ghost stories in 1904. And I think it was called, like, Kwaidan uh, Stories and Studies of Strange Things. So I find it so strange how you always need someone from the outside to come in to help generate interest in your own culture stories. I mean, why can't we just be interested in them in, them in the first place, you know? But yeah. um, anyways, I feel J-Horror kind of got their real start in like the mid-1960s with like the movie Onibaba, which was directed by Kaneto Shindo. And of course, like there's the campy period between like the late 60s and the 80s. But I feel it wasn't until like the late 90s when J-Horror really kind of hit the Western world with Ringu. And I mean, like that's just obviously my own personal opinion on it. So what do you think about that? Um, do you think Ringu was one that kind of created that benchmark for future horror movies? I think it had a big influence, definitely. I mean, obviously, I'm not from Japan. I don't know, mm -hmm. like, when exactly, like, Japanese horror in Japan started, like, becoming such a big thing that it carried over into, like, Western interest. Um, mm -hmm. But I think Ringu definitely had an influence. And I think the American remake of Ringu mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. kind of started seeing people, or even um, uh, the American version of The Grudge, either of those movies kind of, like, sparked oh, yes. some interest. In Japanese horror even though they were Americanized remakes of them obviously mm -hmm. but yeah I agree with you I think like the late 90s early 2000s was just like J-horror's like big moment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it really like it was really shining during that point um and this I, I thought it was really funny how they even with all the remakes that were happening they even did a remake where it was um, Ringu, the girl from Ringu versus the girl from The Grudge, and kind of like an alien versus predator <laughs> situation. I, that, I haven't seen that, but I kind of want to just see it out of morbid curiosity. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do have to mention that like, the, even the term J-horror was originally created by the West to kind of put these movies into like very specific boxes and even kind of fetishize them a bit, like to make it look more exotic. But I think it also limits what could be considered horror as well. And a lot of movies like Audition aren't always included because it doesn't fit their so-called quote-unquote criteria of J-horror. Mm -hmm. But what makes Audition so compelling to watch is that it's like that, it's like this crazy, horrible car accident and it's considered torture porn. I mean, like, can you really stop watching something so disgusting? It's oh, kind of I love it. It's like hostile or something. Yeah, no, I remember the first time I saw that film and it was like watching a car crash. You just couldn't look away from it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's really interesting because, I mean, scary movies, they kind of stimulate that 
that reptilian brain in us, like that primitive brain where it's like fight or flight, right? And then, mm-hmm. um, and then we almost we kind of have that deep emotional connection to the characters as well, um, mostly because like, it triggers, which is like a this highly controversial concept of like mirror neurons in our brain. Um, mostly because it allows us to be kind of like almost be in the same situation as the person we're watching on screen, like mm-hmm. in this crazy embodied simulation kind of thing. And I think it, it really helps in terms of having empathy towards the characters. Um, but my friend, oh, I, one time my friend mentioned how if you actually don't listen to the soundtrack of a movie, if it's like if you kind of cover your ears or anything like that, it's not as scary. But at the same time, I feel like when there's silence, it sometimes feels even scarier. And I know oh, Japanese, yeah. like, J-horror, like, totally plays up on that, right? Yeah. Actually, now that you uh, now that you mention it, when I think of a lot of, like, the really terrifying mov- moments in um, different J-horror movies, there really isn't much of a soundtrack going on. There really isn't, like, any, um, any dialogue or any just, like, ambient noise. It's just silence. And that makes it so much more scary. And I don't know why. Mhm. Mhm. I think it's just it because the silence makes it feel like makes us feel really uneasy cuz I don't know maybe because we're so we- accustomed to western horror movies where there's always always something going on and you know this or there's always going to be a jump scare <laughs> or something. Yeah, uh but I do like I think that build up that anticipation and that um yeah, like we'll go deeper into that as well. But I feel like I that definitely adds to the whole ambiance of it. But I do need to ask you this, M, so because you're so much, you're much more well versed in J horror. But why is it that like U.S. remakes of Japanese horror movies usually suck? Um, I think it comes down to the fact that there is a very big difference between um, what Western audiences are interested in in horror and what like Southeast Asian audiences are looking for. And also the mm-hmm. fact that a lot of J-horror, at least in my opinion, um, the themes behind them, the like storytelling and like the reading kind of like beyond like what you're visually saying is a lot more complex than Western mm-hmm. movies. And yeah. also a lot of J-horror and K-horror movies are very uniquely Japanese and Korean stories. So when you try and take that and just kind of whitewash it and make it into this very Americanized version, it kind of loses a lot of that subtext and a lot of that great storytelling. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, it just, it never works out. The only movie that yeah. I can think of, the only remake that I think was like decent was the remake of The Grudge. But um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the director who did the original version also directed the Americanized version. So it wasn't quite as bad. Mm. But yeah. yeah, I think I think yeah, I remember yeah, I think it was the same director, I feel. Yeah. It was or, fine, but most remakes yeah. are just like it, not it at all. <laughs> yeah, and even though like I feel I think even in the remake of The Grudge, it did take place, it even took place in Japan too, right? Yeah, it was just like almost exactly the same story, but with like an American mm-hmm. woman. That was, that yeah. Was. Oh, Sarah Michelle Geller. Oh. A lot of times, I know that J horror they really focus on it's like cultural and there's like historical context and it's really they like to comment or critique different situations that are going on in society. And then yeah. in a lot of times in Western horror movies, I find 
it's a lot of like savior complex complex they have to show that they're the strongest that they can survive the apocalypse they Mm -hmm. can yeah so it seems to be like I don't know if you found that but like I just see well I see that in a lot of like western movies in general that it's always like I can come save the day it's not necessarily like a nice commentary or anything like that no, I totally agree with you. I also think that, like, when we look at the differences between um, Asian horror and just American horror, just westernized horror, um, mm-hmm. like I said, there's in Asian horror, there's more of a focus on, like, subtext and, like, very um, real themes that are being critiqued. Whereas with mm-hmm. American horror movies, at least for the last, like, couple of decades, it's very just loud, in-your-face, spooky, um, jump scares. It's like... Um, it's like American audiences want to be entertained in a very specific way. And that's why like mm-hmm. slashers popular for so long. And you don't really see that in Asian horror. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's really, it's really, it's a really interesting dichotomy in a, in a way. So I thought, um, I thought it was really interesting because I, even in Ringu, um, it was like a commentary, like for the J- Japanese version, the original version, it was kind of like a commentary on two different uh, situations where like it was like the traditional times versus the modern times because that was also during the time when the VHS tape was coming out and it was really rising in popularity and a lot of people were having I guess they were having problems with that and they there was a lot of fear about like the country's future because it was it also took place like during the economic crash in 1989 whereas like in the u.s i don't think they really took the importance of um i forgot the girl's name uh the main um uh the ghost the ghost the vengeful Sada. ghost thing i think it's sorry Sada what was that oh uh, yes um so, uh yes um but they didn't really take her appearance into context and it was m- more focused on making sure um the female lead could save her son kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so oh um but speaking of vengeful ghosts and spirits what is it about these supernatural beings that can kind of create such a deep-rooted sense of fear in our hearts what do you think that could be um, just because it's like unpredictable it's not based in reality so we don't have any like frame of reference of how to react to it or you know um how to protect ourselves from it it's just this otherworldly thing that um especially in Asian horror in my opinion whenever there's like any kind of like ghostly spiritual thing happening it's just completely out of the realm of the protagonist's like control to stop it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just the fear of like not having control or um not being able to escape whatever like horrors are coming because it's otherworldly Mm -hmm. that's so true I think it's just also so I don't know. I mean, like I I believe in ghost ghosts for sure, because mm-hmm. I <laughs> I've had a ghostly encounter before. <laughs> Not necessarily um, something that really struck terror in my heart or anything like that. But basically, I was traveling with my boyfriend at the time in the interior of BC in a place called Nelson, and it's mm-hmm. famous for this haunted hotel. And of course, like being a horror enthusiast, I was like, oh, hell yeah, we have to stay there. (laughs) And we have to stay on the third floor, which is the haunted floor. And it's like even a known fact that like people, anyone who works at the Hume Hotel claims that like whenever they're working there or whenever they're doing stuff there, things just keep getting moved around, 
even though they didn't do it. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so like the first night I was just like, oh, whatever, you know, it'll be fine. Nothing happens. But in the morning, my side of the sheets were folded back, like folded back, not kicked, not shoved or anything. They were folded neatly. Like there was a distinct line in the sheets. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, at first I was like, maybe I did that in my sleep. I don't know. But like, <laughs> I was just like in a bit in denial because I'm like, oh, it couldn't be. That That's just like kind of weird. And then, so I didn't think much of it at the time, but then the second night. So again, during the night, nothing happens. But because we heard that there was a baby next door, um, I had to sleep with earplugs, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not into waking up to someone else's cries like that. But anyways, like the next morning, I wake up to the baby crying in full volume. And I'm thinking, okay, normally my earplugs are pretty good at keeping this noise out. So what the hell? I go to touch my ears and they're gone. And not as in like they fell out gone, they're gone, gone. And I can't find them anywhere. I looked under the pillow. I thought, okay, maybe they're mixing the sheets. Maybe they're on the floor next to the bed. You know, like places, typical places you'd expect to find things that fall out of your ears, right? Mm-hmm. Nah, nah, gone. And then for some reason, because <laughs> I at first I was like, wait, I did put my earplugs in, right? I swear I did. And then for some reason, I decided to look under the bed. So I had, I lifted up the bed skirt and my earplugs were underneath the bed together. Like they were put together under the bed. Like tucked away. there. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had a ghostly encounter? Um, well, my the house that I grew up in um, when I was a teenager was definitely haunted without a shadow of a doubt. I no. lived in first of all, I lived in the creepy attic. That was where my bedroom was. Um, and uh, it was an older house. And I'm sure there's just a rational explanation for this, but I choose to believe that there was like a ghost, a ghost woman specifically. Um, okay. I had um, moved my desk over to where like the register was, where the heat comes out. And I never mm-hmm. really spent time over there. And after I moved my computer desk over there, I was working on homework and I heard the sound of a woman crying in the vent. And at first I was like, you know, there was a bunch of people living in my house. I was like, maybe, you know, one of my family members is like crying. It's like the middle of the night. And I checked and everybody was dead asleep. And when I came back upstairs, the noise stopped. <gasps> so, yeah. Oh, not, oh my God. I just got goosebumps. It could be, you know, it could have been the pipes rattling, but it sounded distinctly like a young woman crying. So who knows? Oh, my God. Did you ever look into the history of the house? Um, no, I did not. I just know that um, there were, you know, a few generations of immigrants that lived there, and that's that's it. Who knows? I wonder if there were, like, you know, um, hidden walls or something, and someone got stuck back there. I don't know, out of punishment or whatever. Oh, but I didn't think about that. I slept in that house. That would be awesome to find out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. But, I mean, like, this is why I love... This is what I love about ghost stories, though, because I I think they have they tend to have that slow burn in the east, and then versus like all the jump scares in the west and everything like that. But do you think that like just even kind of going back to that, do you feel that it's also a bit because the west, like we're as the west, um, we tend to have more impatience with the world in general, 
and why we kind of prefer that over that buildup? Oh, definitely. I think um, just going back into what I was saying earlier, I think we really like to be entertained in a very specific way, in a very like physical way. So, you know, a slow burn movie isn't going to really resonate with Western audiences as much as, you know, a guy chasing a woman with a knife and just like very direct imagery. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do think that's changing, though. I think Western audiences are becoming more interested in like, um, maybe a little bit slower movies that are um, that have like an interesting story behind them. Because when you look at films like Hereditary or Midsummer, uh, Western audiences love those films, and they were pretty, you know, not super in your face like a lot of traditional Western horror movies were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think like Netflix had a lot of help with that too. I think just like yeah. bringing it, just kind of like having it um, be spread out in a wider for a wider audience too. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even, like, I really enjoyed Jordan Peele's work so far, like, Get Out, Us. I haven't seen yeah, it yet, so I, I can't comment on it, but, I mean, I think he's really tapped into that slow burn type of, like, format, and I really enjoy it. He's an excellent storyteller, definitely. Oh, my God, yes, yes, yeah. Do you like? Do you, can you think of any movies from the West that don't necessarily rely on jump scares besides the ones that you mentioned and have that slow burn feeling? Ah, that's a good question. The first movie that comes to mind is It Follows. It Follows is very, very slow burning, very um, atmospheric, and it didn't really rely on jump scares that much. The mm-hmm. moments of pure terror in that movie. Um, when you think about it, it was just people standing around. You know what I mean? Like, it was, mm-hmm. there was no, weren't really like jump scares or anything like that. Um, that movie managed to like create a monster that wasn't really a monster and that you never really saw specifically. But mm-hmm. um, the, the slow story is what kind of like made it so scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think oh, I think even Nate was he wanted to actually mention a couple movies as well. One was One Cut of the Dead. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. It's a zombie movie. And, mm-hmm. and then oh, oh, obviously, and this is a K horror, Train to Busan. Oh, I love Train to Busan. That was yes. so good. That was the yes. first um, Korean horror movie I've ever seen. Was Train to Busan? Oh yeah. Was very- yeah. Oh. Also, like, I'm a huge fan of Gong Yu. Oh, yes. I have great love for him. Oh, the actor. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about a movie. Yeah. No, he's oh, great. no, no, he's no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the main character <laughs> with his daughter. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, besides slow burns, sometimes even, like, the scariest things in, like, I, I mean, obviously, we have really crazy imaginations as well as humans. But I think it's not always ghosts or vengeful spirits or like invisible demons that are really scary, but I feel people, people, regular everyday people are sometimes the scariest people like beings on earth. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, okay. So you mentioned this in your screen article audition. What were your initial thoughts of the film when you saw it? Um, man, that movie, that movie just like emotionally abuses you through the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, 
Again, and it's that was one of the first Japanese horror movies that I'd seen that wasn't really um, involved in like anything spiritual, any kind of like that specific mm-hmm. type of horror. It really mm-hmm. is like if you make a list of movies of horror films where um, everything that happens happens because people are awful, Audition mm-hmm. would definitely be like up there. Mm-hmm. At the top, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I find it so, like, it's almost, the fact that, like, he wanted to, he held auditions to find someone to replace his wife's absence. I mean, like, yes, I understand his wife died, and he was lonely, and, but to find someone who was almost the same age as your son? Yeah, he kind of asked for it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I just find that so, uh, and I know it was made, I think it was made in the 90s, was it? Or something like that? Yeah, it came out in 1999. Yeah, yeah. But it's just the whole, so misogyny for Japan, on point for that, for sure. (laughs) But uh, I just feel like for guys, they just want this fantasy of like this demure slash meek woman who is talented and can entertain him and like both like in like from her personality or in versus and in bed as well kind of thing and who's mm. just ugh who is this I'm just like oh I'm so disgusted by <laughs> but like I also came across like this crazy thing on Instagram recently where it was a Reddit thread where the guy said, yeah, his girlfriend accidentally had sex with his parents. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> Quite a mistake. Oh, my God. It was like, it was mistake. Well, in terms of, so the story was his parents are swingers and he knows this, but they were looking, so they put out, an, like, I don't know where they did, where they had an ad or they were, oh, no, it was on Tinder. So the wife found um, his girlfriend's friend through Tinder and they got together and they said, well, you know, like we would like to, you know, can you invite a friend as well? So his girlfriend got invited and then they all had sex and everything. And it was just it was disturbing because his parents, I can't remember, I think he, he they were in their 40s or something like that. And his girlfriend was 18. And I'm just like what in the actual fuck oh my god that's rough yeah yeah and he found out I mean like they weren't together at that time but then they got together and when they when he introduced his girlfriend to his parents she was dinner (laughs) yeah exactly it was just like she was super nervous afterwards and he was like oh that's like she's meeting her parents that's why she's nervous but no no it's because of something else (laughs) oh my god I know, I know. It was, it was kind, of, it was really messed up. Anyways, um, but back to J horror. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. So I feel like with audition though, I mean, can you really find anyone at fault? Is it Asa, uh, Asami's fault for actually putting Aoyama through all that terror, through all that? I mean, can you really blame her? I mean, with that movie, that movie really messes with um your perception of each of the characters, like. At mm-hmm. times, you make the main, the lead male's role, um, you know, like we were just talking about, like, why are you, why are you looking for girls that are 18? Come on. Like, it's mm-hmm. easy to like them, but it's also easy to feel bad for them, especially during the final act. And mm-hmm. once you understand 
like the motivations of her, um, you kind of feel bad for her. It's, I don't know, it's a very complex story, I think. Yeah, yeah. But I, I kind of like that where it is so complex because you, not necessarily because you, you side with her because you understand what happened to her and why she is the way she is. And obviously it, trauma will always come out in some ways. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, but it's just, I find it really interesting that nowadays we can almost uh, like, and this is with all the different documentaries about serial killers coming out too, where I don't know, it's just, we're trying to create this understanding of the backstory of the killer and yet at the same time I'm just like do we need to really empathize with them yeah that's that's a good question that's just getting into like literary criticism sometimes Mm -hmm. you can sometimes you can't you know yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but I mean I just need to reiterate humans are the worst beings on planet (laughs) yeah yeah I mean, like, we create monsters every single day. The more we don't heal ourselves from whatever trauma we've gone through, and the more we don't heal, the more we pass on those traumas to others and even trauma bond with them to fix whatever is broken within us. So please, people, this is just like a PSA. Please go get therapy. That's just all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, do you have any sort of like, what's one of your favorite J-horror movies that you can watch over and over and over again? Oh, definitely Cairo. Cairo, The Pulse. Um, oh, yeah? I've seen the movie so many times. It's one of those movies where, you know, when you look at it in a very surface level way, it's just very, very scary. But um, mm-hmm. when you kind of look, when you read between the lines of what the movie's actually about, I feel like every mm-hmm. time I watch it, I find something new that makes me think mm. I think it kind of goes beyond just you know being a horror movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah there's like that really deep I mean it was also during the time with like the whole Y2K thing right so mm-hmm. and I think that's why like the build up to that fear and for people not really re- not knowing what was going to happen when 2000 hit kind of thing, which I think was so ridiculous but whatever yeah. <laughs> um but yeah I think uh especially like for older generations too I'm because they're so mired in their um in their traditions and they feel oh my god like this whole new like this tech thing is happening how are we going to handle it because that is in a way I feel like it's also leaving them in the past and almost forgetting about them because yeah like the new newer generation will always fully like understand tech much more easily they'll accept it more easily because it's changed and it's something new right so and older generations and to have difficulty accepting all of that so I guess in a way it was also just a commentary on how they probably felt the older generation probably felt they were just really left behind yeah and that's just one of the themes that that movie deals with um almost Mm -hmm. an audition um Cairo also deals with like you know the horrific mental health crisis that was going on in Japan during that time and it's still kind of going on now yeah um it was during the mental health crisis that was going on in Japan which is still you know happening today um it really kind of light on themes of younger people people of all ages in Japan feeling very isolated um 
it dealt with mm-hmm. the concept of a hikikomori or people that just shut basically became shut-ins and refused to engage in the very stressful um improper work-life balance that was going on in japan and mm-hmm cases of high suicide rates and just a very dark time in culturally in Japan. I think mm-hmm. that movie like shone a light on it in a very creative way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I think it's also um, like speaking to like the whole mental health thing too. Like, I really like how Japan, well, I mean, I like how they bring it to light, but at the same time, and then I hope, that they're actually doing something about it you know I mean like it's nice to have these movies and yes it's scary it's yes it's like psychological but at the same time it really brings to light a lot of things that a lot of a lot of people don't really address publicly and I really hope that through seeing these seeing these movies that it will actually create more change like do you happen to know if they're they are focusing more on mental health now or if it's more still like oh no it's they're still doing what they were doing in the past I don't know I mean I'm not I don't live in Japan I'm not from Japan but I think uh the culture has changed a little bit just from you know the late 90s early 2000s to now I think Mm -hmm. maybe younger generation is kind of dealing with stuff a little bit better Mm -hmm. but at the time I just remember hearing so much bad stuff about what was going on with the mental health crisis in Japan around that time and Mm -hmm. Cairo just it just it was a beautiful painting of what Mm -hmm. that was like Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. I know that like um in Korea they still have they're still dealing with mental health issues and like especially with like um when it comes to being a teenager and having to make sure that you get into the right university so it puts you on the right path so that you can get a great job and be successful mm-hmm. and all that stuff right so I just I find it really hard sometimes where we put so much pressure on younger people to perform to a certain level that they may not even be able to yeah. but it's yeah I mean like sometimes these horror movies are not actually that scary in relation to actual life too sometimes yeah yeah so oh and there was also even um there was another j-horror movie where it was a whole bunch of schoolgirls and they it was like a suicide circle i think it was oh yeah yeah suicide circle yeah that's another good example uh-huh. of um yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of looks at mental health crises in japan Hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think like it was like I I really hope people can learn from that and even just like even like um for Pulse I feel like or Cairo I feel like it was the whole isolation thing I mean that's even still going on today where because their population has dropped so much because a lot of people aren't actually getting together either so yes yeah. yeah they're like it's just we're creating these solipsistic societies and with our phones and with technology, we can like, I honestly, as a writer, I could just hold myself in a place and I don't even need to eat. Cause I need to like go out and meet anyone because I could just order food and just have it be dropped off at my door. So. I know. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's scary sometimes where I'm just, I have to actually stop myself and say, Oh hell. Oh my God. It's like a whole day has gone by and I have not even like gone outside. 
and I have not taken, I have taken less than a hundred steps and it's mostly like for me going from my computer to the bathroom and back again or yeah, something. I've had days like that too. Also the pandemic didn't really help with that either. Oh God, no, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> oh my gosh. Was there anything that you wanted to bring up in terms of J-horror or even K-horror? Nothing comes to mind. I did just recently watch A Tale of Two Sisters. I actually watched it like two days ago. That is such a great example of just solid Korean horror. K-horror tends to have a lot more twists and turns in it. Like there's a reveal, Mm. another Mm. reveal, another twist. Whereas Mm. J-horror is a lot more um, very cerebral, very like slow and just like atmospheric. I feel like those are like the main two differences between those like genres of films. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you on that. Like I see J horror as a hockey stick where it's like slow, 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 slow. And then all of a sudden it just like, <laughs> it just ramps up like crazy. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, wait, what, <laughs> what the hell? But like, yeah, for sure. K horror has a ton of twists and turns. And I mean, like, I guess, would you consider parasite as a, a K horror? Oh, that's hard. That movie is so hard to define because mm-hmm. it could fit different genres. But yeah, I consider it a horror movie. I was horrified when I watched it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, <laughs> a good way of defining it. Um, uh, were you horrified or not? Um, yeah, but like I think the twist in that, the different like the layers. I think that's the other thing about J-horror and K-horror versus Western. It's just like, there's so many layers to it. It's like a serious onion and you're just like peeling and peeling and peeling and peeling until you get to the core. You're like, holy shit. Oh my God. I just went through like this whole roller coaster ride. Kind of thing. Yeah. You don't really get that with American horror. Like there's no like layers to like Michael Myers or Jason. It's just a guy with a knife chasing a woman. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's a, that's a great commentary on Western society in general, I feel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. Sadly. Sadly. Yeah. Sadly, yes. Um, yeah, so I think, again, PSA, people, please go get therapy so that you don't yeah. keep like, adding trauma to your life or projecting right. it onto other people. Yep. Uh, yeah, but... Um, before we wrap things up, so one last question to you, Anne. What uh-huh. day horror movie would you recommend to someone who's just starting to dip their toe into like horror movies outside of the West? Or do you have any for those who watch J horror movies like religiously? Oh, I've got a list for both, honestly. Oh, nice. I think if you're if you're just starting out with J horror, I think go with the classics. Maybe start with Quiet On or any of like the the horror movies from the 60s, Haosu is another good one. It's a good surrealist Japanese horror. Um, mm-hmm. There's also, you know, Ringu, Juwan, Cairo, um, Dark Water. I can't remember the Japanese title of that film. That's another really good one to start out with. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're more advanced, if you've kind of seen all of the classics, I would suggest Audition, if you've got a strong <laughs> stomach. Um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also Noroi the Curse. That is a very good classic Japanese found footage horror film. Um, I've had some trouble finding where I can actually watch it, but just it's called Noroi. Um, it's very good. There's also uh, Fuwan Notane is a great 
um, J-horror adaptation of a horror manga that's like an anthology of horror. Um, that's very that ad adaptation was very good. Um, outside of that, uh, there's Maribito, Tag, um, Suicide Circle. I think those are mm -hmm. all very advanced Japanese horror films to kind of take a look at. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! Even like for Tag, that opening scene where it was, um, just like, I was like, "What? <laughs> what am I watching? Oh my and, god!" Uh, talk to you in immediately. <laughs> Yeah. And especially for someone who is just new to J-horror as well. And like, you're curious, the, I think the main barrier, I don't know if you felt this, M, but like the, one of the main barriers is reading subtitles, especially if you, like, if you want to do it the proper way, have it in Japanese, but reading subtitles. And if you can get past that, like one inch barrier, it's going to change your life. I swear. Because some of those dubs are not it. Some of them are Ugh. not good. Ugh. It's just so much better to just go with the source material and just, you know, the director of um, Parasite was even like, if you're not, if you're not watching foreign films because you don't want to deal with subtitles, you're just missing out on like a great opportunity to watch some amazing movies. Just, just deal with it. Just read the subtitles. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes like you can even watch it more than once too. You don't have to just like watch it the one time you could watch it a couple times so you can your eyes can kind of get used to reading and seeing the scene unfold in front yeah. of you as well yeah. you get used to it yeah exactly and yes of course like i've like rewound re la, la, la. can i talk re <laughs> i've like also gone back a couple times just to, like reread something to just because i want to make sure i got the whole story instead of like maybe missing something yeah so, mm-hmm but yeah, like, um, but yeah, anyone who's into like J horror, K horror, just relax your eyes, just let the words come out, and you'll still be able to like enjoy yourself. You won't be like freaking out about every single thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, I, I I do appreciate the whole list of J horror um movies that you listed as well. I think they're phenomenal, absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but uh sadly we've come to the end of our j-horror discussion and i know that there's like a lot more that we can explore but we need to also leave room for nate and his crew to respond to what we kind of laid out in our chat <laughs> mm -hmm. so i wanted to thank em so much for joining me in this chat it was so much fun exploring the deeper meanings behind these movies so now i just wanted to turn it over to them for any sort of like shameless plugs about their upcoming horror anthology. So please tell us all about it. Sure, um, I have a book coming out. Uh, it's available for pre-order now and it's gonna be out on April 1st of next year. It's called Psyche, a anthology of psychological horror. It's a collection of four short stories that I've written and it's a spooky good time and you should pre-order it. That's amazing. So where can they find this? Find uh, Psyche, an anthology of psychological horror on Kindle. Um, it's, Kindle is available for pre-order right now, but um, physical copies will be out on April 1st. Oh my God, that's so exciting. Oh, <laughs> and then, so where can we find more information about any sort of upcoming books you have coming out? Like what's your, drop your uh, social handles, all that stuff. Um, I'm on Goodreads. You just have to search for E.D. Castellina. That's what I write under. And um, I also have all my, my links to my blog and all that on Goodreads. 
So that's a wrap on the Asian edition of the Pop Stars Movie Time Spooktacular Podcast for Halloween. If you're wondering what Nate and his crew said about Western horror movies, then make sure to check it out on our website. So until next time, I hope you take a chance on watching some J-horror for a truly scary Halloween. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Pop Zara Podcast. Like, subscribe, and share, if you dare. <laughs>